We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. We're not going to eradicate this virus, but right now we are not in the pandemic phase in this country. Welcome to the Death Panel. If you'd like to support the show, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to our entire back catalog of bonus episodes. This week, we talked with Melissa Jira Grant about the end of Roe versus Wade and the criminalization of abortion. It was a really great conversation. Bonus episodes are out every Monday, so become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism, or request it at your local library, and follow us at deathpanel underscore. So today we are checking back in on COVID. Everyone is having a really hard time right now. And for many people that I've spoken to recently, this feels like maybe one of the most frustrating times yet of the pandemic. And Now is really a time to regroup, come together, and talk through things. So to start us out, um, I'm going to lay out a rough sketch of where we're at with COVID right now. It's been a few episodes since the three of us had a chance to sit down and talk about the pandemic together, and so much has happened in a really short time. We saw a lot of discourse about breakthrough infections and deaths emerge after our last big COVID episode on April 25th. It was actually kind of surprising how impactful that episode was. We had people doing whole threads, fact-checking our four-minute and 35-second teaser. <laughs> you know, judging if we had used data well. Unhelpfully or, fact-checking, I would you say. You know, if we yeah. had made a data crime, and it turns out we passed the fact-check, by the way. We did not commit data crime. Uh, anyways. Oh, so thought I was very, very scared about going to uh, social science jail. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, so we had been uh, planning to check back in on this sooner, but the Supreme Court leak and some chronic illness stuff on my end delayed the plan to revisit our discussion of breakthrough infections and deaths, which frankly um, was a good thing because it's only more relevant now with cases still rising more clearly now than when this debate started. I mean, um, Washington, D.C. just had a huge series of parties all concentrated into four days around the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which took place on April 30th. And it turns out that also at the same time, um, the D.C. Health Department, according to reporting from the Washington Post, simultaneous to these parties with tons of unmasked people all over D.C., opted to not share the data with Centers for Disease Control since April 27th on the number of new cases in the district or on any deaths from the virus. So today is May 11th, 2022. Nationwide in the United States, cases are up dramatically, and likely there are numerous delays like the situation in D.C. that might be obscuring that figure even more. The data picture of the pandemic uh, that the average person has access to is incredibly murky. Hospitalizations, however, are up. ICU hospitalizations are up. Deaths are going up again. And no, it is not enough to say that, well, it's not that bad yet with deaths. So who cares? That's a bullshit line. I'm sorry. 
And the CDC continues to use the community-level map, which is specifically designed to hide a massive COVID surge. And there are a bunch of counties that will never be anything other than green because the colors only really change based on hospitalizations. And there are many counties in the United States that have no hospital in them. And I've still not seen a clear explanation as to how the risk levels of hospital-barren counties are being calculated. According to the New York Times, the current seven-day average of test positivity is hovering in the 70,000 cases per day range, and that's an undercount. Testing access is at one of the lowest points that we've seen yet. And uh, we are, if we're still using the old CDC community risk level system, the Northeast would be bright red right now, reflecting what is the obvious reality that we are in a period of uncontrolled community spread. But care for the uninsured is no longer free, which was coming for a while. More information about breakthrough infections are coming in. The aggregated March numbers on breakthrough deaths are not out yet from the CDC, but we have states like Arizona showing that 47.7% of COVID deaths in March were among fully vaccinated people. Yet in the media, left and right, you have this kind of silent majority line of there are all these pundits who are out there saying like, oh, the majority of Americans could never tolerate any more non-pharmaceutical interventions. The bar for masking is just so high right now. So this is where we're at. And it's a really confusing vibe. And it's really important to sort (laughs) of talk through what's even going on because it's impossible actually to get a snapshot right now of where we're at because there's just so much falling apart, no longer sort of connecting in terms of pandemic infrastructure, and obviously these other social and political factors that are obscuring the picture that we're even able to see. Yeah, it's funny. I think going back, like listening to maybe one of the first episodes that we had on the pandemic, like 2020, I seem to remember saying something like, like the way that you know something is is not just like a crisis, but a full, full-blown like disaster is that you're not even able to make sense of what's going on. That's like the, that ability, like that cognition is actually really central to thinking about like what makes something into like, you know, a situation that can be, can be managed. And I, and I feel like I had sort of thought that, all right, by 2021, at the very least, the kind of like visual prostheses were there. It was able to like, <laughs> we were able to like see what was happening, but I think the thing that is now really obvious is that, and and you see this in the way that like the Biden administration acts like they're, you know, they have the dinner and then like Biden is like, I'll be there for a little bit. Uh, Like, you know, Fauci's like, I'm pulling out of, you know, pulling out of these like public events. And at the same time, they have to be pushing the need for more COVID aid, uh, but also not saying it's that urgent because if they were able to, if they if they could admit that it were that urgent then they would cast the spotlight back onto the fact that they you know re- really not able to manage uh the situation and i think that the sort of the gamble back in january or february was that by like taking off the urgency of managing the situation this would somehow redound to you know, the public perception of the Biden administration being successful, that they had like vanquished right. the foe. Um, and I think that this is just a it was just like a, a kind of horrible uh, gamble, because what you do is you sort of one just at a very basic sort of like moral or ethical level, take your hands off the reins of something that you actually do have a responsibility to to manage. 
But at the same time, it's just like, it's not at all clear that this is even like politically like makes any sense for you because you undercut your ability to make the case for the very policies that a lot of people, even in the administration, know that you want to do. So it's this incredibly incoherent uh, thing. And now, like we're going to be talking about in July, the question of whether or not we're go- the Biden administration is going to end the pandemic uh, or the public health emergency, which then would mean, you know, a rolling wave of people being kicked off of Medicaid right in time for the midterm elections. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's so, I, yeah, I have had a very difficult time, you know, understanding what the administration is doing aside from one important thing, which is that the only thing that they seem to be responsible is like elite sort of elite pressure to quote unquote, do the right thing. And that has, that to me is the singular thing that has, it's not that it has gone away, but it is the, the force of it has dissipated to the point where it's a, those that pressure is entirely avoidable, probably even at a social level um, uh, for, for the administration. Yeah. I mean, all of this just makes me think that, uh, you know, I think we've maybe even argued for some time that I think confusion is the one defining feature of the mm-hmm. pandemic at the moment. I do think, though, that now we are, I would say, in the first time in a very interesting field of sort of uncharted territory where it's. There is this confusion, but there is also, I think, very clearly a confusion at the top of it being, you know, I think the one thing that you could probably say definitively of probably American society as a whole, but also of the Biden administration's response, it seems, is that no one seems to know what's going on. No one seems to know whether or not we're in a pandemic anymore or what to do about that, except for maybe to, you know, blame Congress for not securing funding or something like that. And I think this is really best illustrated by something that happened while we were kind of like off talking about the leaked draft. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, despite the fact that this happened, you know, more than a week ago now, I don't want to sort of let like Anthony Fauci get away with this necessarily. I think this characteristic moment of backpedaling that happened very publicly um, at the end of April really kind of shows, I think, a lot of the the sort of overall view that these people are taking towards the pandemic and the, I think, honestly, truly fucked situation that we're all in, I think even more fucked, um, considering some of the stuff that we'll talk about later with the prevalence, frankly, of breakthrough deaths. Um, but I think, you know, for example, if you missed it, I guess, uh, on April 26th, Fauci said to PBS NewsHour, quote, we are certainly right now in this country, out of the pandemic phase, um, we're not going to eradicate the virus. But right now, we are not in the pandemic phase of this country. Pandemic means a widespread throughout the world infection that spreads rapidly among people. So it's funny because even in this definition of we're not in the pandemic phase anymore, he's like saying <laughs> that we are basically. I mean, the sense like a, a widespread infection throughout the world is like literally what's very literally what's happening here. Um, he reiterated that to the next day, April 27th to the Washington post saying, um, it's interesting that you used earlier the word full blown Phil or the term full blown, because he says, quote, right now we're at a low enough level that I believe we are transitioning into endemicity. We are not in the full blown explosive pandemic phase going on to then later in the day, April 27th, having to sort of, uh, walk this back a little bit and reframe in a comment to the AP, quote, we are in a different moment in the pandemic, which is about Mm. the most like 
I don't know. I think that's a pretty interesting way to try and rationalize the things that you've just been saying, basically. Um, and then, of course, not a week later, um, is there reporting May 6th from Politico saying that, you know, Fauci is like privately complaining, basically not actually, sorry, not privately is complaining yeah. on a call that the White House regularly does about the state of the pandemic and the yeah. and the overall COVID response, you know, saying that it was it's basically like reckless to treat this as though it is as though the pandemic is over yeah. when not a week ago, mm-hmm. basic, not a week prior, basically he was, you know, more or less saying that. And obviously we've seen this telegraph from him over and over and a number of other Biden officials saying, you know, things like we're, you know, quickly moving towards a point where COVID no longer defines or, or dominates our, our lives. Right. And so it's interesting because this all happens while they're, you know, going around, even if it's just for funding saying like, that their projections mark out that there could be 100 million COVID infections in the fall and winter and that there will be another winter, basically, of widespread illness and death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how you square these. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you square these two things, but apparently it's uh, totally feasible. They're doing it. They've been doing it, you know, for months uh, in front of us. Right. Right. I mean, I guess when you have so much leverage and control, you don't really need your points to make a lot of rational, logical sense with each other. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> since when since when is politics like ever made sense? I mean, like I feel like my sort of political awakening to the extent that I had one was the Iraq war. Yeah. And like on a fairly routine basis, you would have to hear things like. You, know, you go to war with the army you have, not the army you wish you had. Oh, it's boy. like, is this <laughs> like, so I, I think I'm used to things not making sense. I, I think what I'm um, what feels like uncharted territory to me is the sort of I guess the sort of relationship between what people think the public will do and not do uh, in response to actions the government takes. So, like, I, I guess. If, if I could try to ration, I mean, I don't want to try to rationalize the Biden administration's logic here. I think it's really, really blinkered. I think that well, it's like an impossible task too. Yeah, but but it also it's not it's not impossible to, I think, explain the kind of mood in the room. Not not that I have any access to it, but like here here's a guess that I feel like resonates with with some things that I've seen, which is like, OK, uh, there's this sort of. This this social thing that people don't like to do is very like recognizable and and uh, that to, to pollsters uh, and to maybe some of the people who are advising the administration. It's like, well, you know, we sort of hear about this. So pe- people don't seem to like masking or, or whatever. And, you know, there there's this sense that, like, if we don't somehow claim that we can, we've our policies have like turned a corner that like Democrats are going to suffer even more, you know, hemorrhage even more uh, in the midterms. And I think the thing is like, all of that is back of uh, we haven't actually been able to do meaningful policy changes that would have ameliorated the situation. Like for one reason or another, that's like been politically sticky. So then we have to like claim some victory. How do we claim some victory? (laughs) We can only claim some victory by like pretending by like engaging in pretense and like by cooking, even if not cooking the data, like completely reframing the situation or saying we're in quote, and, a different moment, whatever the a fuck different that mo- means. Right. <laughs> and the, and the thing about it that, that doesn't gel to me is that, you know, when I go to the grocery store, like there is no mask mandate in Milwaukee. When I go to gro- the grocery store, 
I would still say that, a, you know, at least half of the people that I see are like voluntarily wearing a mask. Bec- why? Because it's highly likely that given where I live, they know people who have gotten seriously ill, maybe even died from the disease. So, like, it's very clear to them, you know, what the important sort of steps are to take. And, you know, it's pretty clear that like people like voluntarily, as long as the government was sort of putting out there the information like, hey, this is a bad disease and we have a very simple thing that we can do is like when we're in public, we try to do this um, and we're going to use the power of the state not to like (laughs) not to punish people. I mean, the, the punitive arm of the state was never really used around masking. In the United States, as it was maybe, uh, you know, in in other countries, like our restrictions here, regulation here doesn't really mean the same thing as it does on the continent. Um, But (laughs) this is it was this sort of reading that like, oh, what people really want. They're like the preferences that they really have that they're not telling us about are like really to like do away with all of this. And so then the CDC changed its metrics and then it changed the guidelines. And what happened was that you had pretty solid public support for mask mandates prior to the CDC, you know, releasing those guidelines. And then they release the guidelines and you see in the Axios polls, that's the breaking point. That's the, yeah. the pivot point. And uh, support for masking goes from being hovering in the sixties consistently, regardless of what, you know, there, there's a big spike obviously with Omicron in, in January, but it's consistently in, in around the sixties until the end of February, at which point it drops to the 50s. Uh, and then by April, you're south of 50% on public support for masking. And that's not reacting to changes in the situation, like excess deaths increase. The situation, at least epidemiologically, doesn't seem like it's changed altogether that much if you think about excess deaths. But public opinion does seem to have been highly responsive to the Biden administration's claim about mask mandates. Interestingly, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it's not responsive to them when you look at something like, you know, if there was an increase in COVID cases in your area, would you mask? I think that's still pretty like it's that's still north of 70 percent of people say that like they would the do that. it's like question of supporting mask mandates, like right. quote, well, quote, mandates, right? Right. And but the thing is, too, it's like if you are not being so like one question is like, how would you know? <laughs> that cases were getting bad in your area. Well, then somebody would have to tell well, you right now you can't. Well, right. And and the other thing is like, it would hinge on like getting some consistent signal from government, from media that that's happening, which is not to say that like there isn't reporting on case increases when it does happen, but it's not the same sort of, uh, Hey, this is really, it's, it's not the same thing of like a tor- the equivalent of like a tornado warning no. or hurricane warning or, or even a severe storm warning. It's like, Hey, there are different actions you need to take right now uh, with that level of uh, sort of polarity or severity. So like that is sort of encouraging. But if the whole strategy here is to de-emphasize the urgency of these, the situation, then how are you going to expect people to even voluntarily take the correct action, you know, even if you're even if it were true that like mandates, you know, are not effective as such. How in the absence of a consistent, credible signal are people even going to be able to take voluntary collective action? There's no situation on Earth where that happens. <laughs> Never. Right. It does not happen unless you have a focal point to do that work. And so this is it's a situation where like 
uh, it's, you know, the Biden administration sort of managed to avoid blame because they've, you know, crafted the situation in a, in such a way that like, it's harder to report on. I think it's probably harder to get a quote unquote, like a, like a story on, but they are responding. I mean, this is, this is, so they are creating something that they know. And th- this is where the good reporting is like, come in. It's like, they know that by the fall, it's going to get even worse and they will be to blame. I mean, as much as they try to like deny it, they will be to blame. They yeah. cannot pin this on any other kind of political force. They have the, the, the vast power of the executive <laughs> branch of the federal government, which still hasn't been completely hacked away by the courts yet. It's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this, mm-hmm. these uh, you said you sent us these uh, graphs that you did of this right before uh, we sat down to record here. And I, I'll probably just, have like to- shocked. Well, and I'll have to probably um, post them in the server. I'll probably I'll post them probably in the episode chat in the in the death panel discord server. But it's I mean, it's it's pretty dramatic. I mean, if you look at it, basically, you know, obviously um, support for quote unquote mask mandates goes up and down a li- like a little bit, you know, it wavers uh, slightly up and down uh, from about August until when the CDC implements its new community level guideline and basically says like, okay, 99% of the country now you're, you know, you don't, we don't even recommend masking in these places. Um, like the moment that that happens, there's just a precipitous drop. It's like, it's very clear that it is just kind of dirtling along basically, <laughs> you know, the support for mass mandates is more or less like it's, you know, again, kind of ebbs and flows a little bit, but then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, okay, sudden drop basically um, almost immediately following this change uh, in its recommendation. So yeah, again, I don't know. I mean, and we've said this, I mean, we, we basically said as much when this happened too. Right. It's like, what do you expect when you are the federal government and you say like, well, you know, don't worry about it anymore. <laughs> like, Obviously, people well, and it's not. I know that I'm mischaracterizing it a little bit. It's not. Don't worry about it anymore. But when you shift to like, oh well, you know, uh, we don't even necessarily recommend masking in 99% of the country. You can take your masks off, enjoy it. We're at like at a moment after a huge surge. Like, have fun, everybody, basically. And you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable still, well, mm. you know, then maybe you should just wear a mask or whatever. Like, of course, that has power. Of course, that has huge, uh, huge social impact like it's the state right it's the fucking state like and i mean just to just to like underline that really important point that i think you just made already the the whole sort of framing of why this was okay obviously is like oh well you know everybody has the choice to protect themselves and states and municipalities and counties they can sort of come together and put in whatever protections they feel they need as a community right and this was very much the line from the Biden administration about why it was okay to make the CDC guidelines lax, implying that basically like, oh, the you know local guidelines won't change because the federal guidelines change. But what you saw, for example, is one local guidelines immediately changed yeah. to reflect the CDC guidelines. And when cities like Philadelphia tried to reimpose mask mandates because they were seeing, you know, rises in cases, they were concerned about the disproportionate impact on, you know, communities that were already like really facing, um, I think, like growing in higher levels of infection at that point. And there was, I think, clear evidence for reimposing a mask mandate. Right. And it was challenged in court because it didn't 
reflect the CDC guidelines, right? It didn't reflect those federal guidelines. So actually, there is this kind of catch-22 where states really can't do that. And subsequently, I I will note that days after trying to reinstate the mask mandate there, they rolled it back. And basically, a lot of the explanation given for it was that it was sort of politically untenable for them to keep it up. Right, right. right. And and in this Washington Post piece uh, that came out on May 9th called The Bar for Reimposing Mask Mandates is Getting Higher and Higher, there is uh, explicit discussion of the fact that one of the issues in Philadelphia and one of the reasons why that reimposition of the mask mandate was so short-lived is because there was no federal support to back them up. Right. There was no real, uh, you know, there was no CDC guideline that backed them up. And it's interesting because this article also um, has a a comment from a, a commissioner, the commissioner of Chicago's Department of Public Health, who says that basically the issue is now like, well, she's strongly recommending mask mandates, but because hospitalizations haven't hit where they're supposed to hit by the CDC guidelines, in uh, Chicago yet, she feels that she can't impose a mask mandate because it's an issue of public trust, because it doesn't reflect what the federal recommendations are. Yep. And so Surprise. she says, you know, she says, quote, congratulations, team, once again, um, I don't want to do that all the time forever. I want to do that at a time the risk is higher. So it's not like we're crying wolf all the time. Mandates don't do a whole lot to increase trust in government necessarily. So it's like this whole framework of, right, like, yeah, you could say like mandates writ large, they don't increase trust. But the real issue is that um, when you have this kind of like deference to the states, right, it's all posturing, it's all theater. It's not that states have this magical power that they can actually impose things to protect the community because you have these larger structural uh, frameworks, right, like the CDC community level guidelines, which now dictate policy regardless of what level you're at, right? And if there's no federal support and there's no reflection of any authority there, anything that anyone can use to back up a a local protection, right? I, I mean, imagine how does this work in a county that has no hospital? Right. Right. How does this work yeah. in a county with no hospital? Yeah, how are you ever supposed to get to the quote unquote high rating? Again? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, no, I mean, uh, yeah, this is it's a very disingenuous you know, approach to governing. It's like, well, we'll let the states do it. Well, they, they entirely cue on what you're doing. <laughs> so how can you, re- you know, it's I mean, it would be great if we had the ability not to fall for it uh, <laughs> over and over Again, I think. Uh, But I think the other thing is that it should no longer if if, look, I have nothing to say about whether or not the mandates like increase trust in government. Trust (laughs) in government has been in the toilet for the last like two, three decades. The things that you would have to do to increase trust in government are an order of magnitude above what the Biden administration has shown that it's really interested in doing. Yeah. So like, let's not talk about what increases trust in government because we're all, you are already, you've abandoned that thing that you might be interested in. But the, I, I think the question is now, what do you do in light of the fact that CDC's guidance is not correct right and, and like yeah. right. there are and the thing too is there, it's there are actively gonna be a thousand, playing out as a disaster well, <laughs> and you can see it in the rising case numbers well right and and the thing about this is oh yeah rising excess mortality too don't forget about that right. um the 
the thing that they're going to say, the thing that the Biden administration will say or the CDC will say is like, well, you know, our, our guidance on masking was not unequivocal. Like there is some sort of threshold. But if no one can understand what the threshold is, <laughs> it's not threshold anymore. Yeah. It's basically you, you know, and I, I think there's a parallel to me in the way that things like the ACA were designed is like, yeah. You can't design a policy as if the only people who are going to be responsible behaviorally for making it happen or like using it were like social scientists. Like that's why using like going through the tax code to deliver benefits doesn't work because people don't understand the tax code. And like, you know, unless you have like somebody that you're paying to like prepare your taxes, which I think most people don't. And in this situation is like the CDC. I think it has to be admitted and it should be. People should be looking into this. Yeah. Like these, these guidelines have not worked. They have not produced uh, a better situation for the pandemic. I don't even think that you could say politically that they've made things better for Biden. Uh, You know, maybe they've even made things tougher. Maybe it's now they've locked themselves into a situation where they can't go back politically. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing is these guidelines, they're not guidelines that really should be the thing that we cue off of. Yeah. And there need like, I, I, I keep going back to this was like, you cannot let like, I think we can't let the CDC like weasel out of that. Yeah. And I mean, part of this honestly is like, okay, what I'm about to say, I just, you know, this is something that we've heard from one person who will remain anonymous, but I, I think it is worth looking into. For example, we have heard essentially that, public health departments cannot always necessarily replicate the process that the CDC uses to set uh, and determine the community level rating that it is assigning to different counties. Again, unsure to the extent that that goes, but if that is the case, then that is pretty troubling, I would say. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like there that is not necessarily surprising to me for a really basic reason, which is that formula that they use to determine that is really convoluted. Yeah. There's a lot of different moving parts in it. I, I don't think it would be, it, it can't be that easy to replicate. Right. It's like, there's, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of room for error uh, in it. Um, right. No. And I think this is one kind of, you know, trail of breadcrumbs among many that probably warrant more investigation. Like, I, I think it's that like, just because, there have been some things that I think have pulled back some of the maybe public scrutiny and pressure on the administration. It doesn't mean that like, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, kind of unan- important, like unanswered questions. And I, and I think we sort of like the, the, the general framework is we, we kind of had at the top of the episode, which is to say that how can it be the case that the sort of what we know of the bare facts of the situation of the pandemic are, are still really bad, but it's, genuinely does not feel like the administration is doing a whole lot about it seems very responsive to anything about it and that what we have is kind of a smooth talking uh kind of response and i think this is important not only for the fact that like there are a lot of people demanding some sort of effective public health strategy but also the fact that like a lot of what the administration's like agenda is predicated on their entire pandemic plan that was released earlier in the spring is predicated on a certain amount of funding. And that funding is predicated on the urgency of the situation. Right. 
So the question is, what is being done about it? Right. And then, I mean, it's, it's I mean, I'm glad you brought up funding because I think this is like really well exemplified in the kind of messaging that we're seeing coming from like, for example, Ashish Jha when he's giving press conferences, sort of trying to make the case for funding, uh, talking about the fact that clinics who were providing care to the uninsured are now completely, they're out of money, right? And there is no real access to care for the uninsured at all right now in the United States. But the way that he frames it is almost still as if it's like a far distant oncoming crisis that might potentially come. Like he says to to quote Ja, um, making sure uninsured people have access is absolutely critical. If Congress continues to not fund these urgent priorities, it's going to get harder and harder for people to access care, which is just some of the most in- fucking insulting shit I have ever heard. Because to, to say that that is a description of reality right now in the United States, to say that, oh, right now, you know, it's it's urgent to fund these priorities. It's going to get harder and harder for people to access care is just fucking ridiculous. Right now, care is more inaccessible than it has been in any other point in the pandemic, not just because people who are uninsured don't have access to care. It's because with COVID going on, in the context of that, with the looming Medicaid cutoff, what you have right now is like also hospitals that are overwhelmed and exhausted and people who are trying to get regular care, who are having a hard time getting care. Access to care is a fucking mess. And the Biden administration has done nothing to do anything to make it better. All they've done this entire time is make decisions that have prolonged the pandemic making the general situation with healthcare in the United States markedly worse in the course of making the pandemic more durable and also worse. And it's frustrating because you have sort of the 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 framework, right, that's being pushed right now is that we're facing this precarious cliff, which we passed a really long time ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, this is what makes the again, you know, them raising alarms accurately about there being another, you know, looming fall and winter, if not earlier of, you know, millions of infections and deaths and a very, you know, a very troubling future immediately ahead of us, basically, um, like th- there, this is what makes them warning about that. You know, the, the phrase crying wolf was used earlier. I think that's yeah. very appropriate. Like that's what that makes that sound like the fucking wolf crying wolf or something. You know what I mean? Is just like they <laughs> have done everything to set up the scenario that they are now forced to actually acknowledge a little bit, right. To mm-hmm. ask for funding, but then they're not willing to actually present how dire the situation is. I mean, to and to be explicit about that, I mean, there's like there was a Politico piece, for example, recently that um, they they looked at what has happened since this funding has dried up. One of the examples in that is a Texas clinic yeah. that has gone from mm. vaccinating people seven days a week to being open one day a week. There's another example in that that is someone, I believe, a pharmacist in New York who had uh, used funding basically to be able to go around door to door in upstate New York, vaccinating like thousands of people a month, had to stop that practice because funding ran out. Right. And this -hmm. this is just examples of vaccination. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if the point (laughs) again, if like. If the point is, oh, well, yeah, things are bad, but, you know, we hope that people will take uh, take it upon themselves to do protections for themselves. They'll take their personal responsibility to mask. They'll take their personal responsibility to make sure that they get vaccinated. We're not helping those people. Like We could have been sending people na- nationwide door to door 
to mm-hmm. vaccinated people this whole fucking yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And we Absolutely. didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, we relied on a bunch of fucking for-profit pharmacy chains, like huge pharmacy chains like CVS and Walgreens, right? right. Like, Which we already knew were like just completely divested from some of the communities that would have needed these interventions the most. They're not healthcare providers. Right. They sell fucking <laughs> chips. And they, yeah. they, they're they in a business of selling like chips and drugs and periodicals. <laughs> but this is the thing, right? Is the... I'm trying to imagine what their argument is like against why he's like, well, they're going to make, they would make some capacity argument and that's bullshit because like you just, you create the capacity. Uh, But the the other argument is like, well, that wouldn't work here because of low trust in government. I don't know. There are tons of countries where there's very low trust in government and they're capable of doing that. I I don't think that, I guess I wouldn't say that trust in government in Brazil is extraordinarily high, but they seem to be able to do that. Um, and the other point is the whole trusting government argument as, a, as, a, as an argument for why you can't do these things seems a little self-fulfilling prophecy like, yeah. which is that, hey, if you don't use the authority you have to do things, then why would people trust that your ability uh, in your ability to do them? And that's sort of how I feel about the CDC guidelines. My I think I try not to get into a place where my thinking about a situation is like there's no escape. Uh, you know, uh, from, from the situation. But like, I think what worries me is has the Biden administration, this is my question. Have they locked themselves? Not have Republicans locked them, not has our quote unquote polarized politics locked them, have their discretionary actions <laughs> locked themselves into a situation that is politically just death rattle. Mm-hmm. And, and if so, like who is responsible for that? Who made those decisions like that is important for for several reasons. One, uh, it's only with that kind of scrutiny and accountability that anybody has an incentive to do anything else. But two, those people need to be named, shamed, and they should never work in politics again. No one should trust them (laughs) to do anything. Mm -hmm. No one should trust them to like go and get lunch (laughs) Um, like that is that is how I feel about this. Uh, and, And this is just a persistent thing is these these people who make these asinine decisions never uh, once actually have to pay for them in any professional way. Mm -hmm. The world iterates, it responds to those decisions and they walk away and, you know, go work for Daimler Chrysler or whatever. (laughs) I think to underscore all of this and the sort of actual urgency that people should maybe feel about this people, whether they're in power or whether they are so inclined to try to actually like really socially and politically pressure for things to significantly change here to underscore this i think it's a really good time to sort of circle back to the conversation that we had on breakthrough deaths mm-hmm. um i would encourage everyone basically to like listen to if you haven't um there's a patreon episode called breakthroughs from a couple of weeks ago where we talked at length about this data that came up from cdc that was subsequently covered by the kaiser family foundation in a report that showed that basically uh among other things we talk about a lot of the different findings in it but i think we we wanted to kind of in a public episode yeah. um return to them and also sort of uh let's say answer some of the surprising amount of uh <laughs> let's say controversy that uh, (laughs) swirled up around not so much the episode, because I think people who actually listened to the episode, I literally saw no one who had any problem with them with it, but more the idea of uh, to answer sort of the, 
the controversy that swirled up among uh, cranks, basically, who saw our tweets about the CDC's data on breakthrough deaths and experienced a quick involuntary reflex reaction to cry misinformation. <laughs> um, among them, people like uh, Benjamin Mazur, who we recently called out uh, for his shitty Atlantic piece a couple of weeks ago, who basically called Greg Gonzalez, uh, who's a former uh, ACT UP tag member, um, called him an anti-vaxxer for sharing my post about it. So whatever. Anyway, the finding, right, that we talked about in that episode was that essentially according to the CDC data, um, which looked at data from, it's a sample of basically like 66% of the U.S. population Mm -hmm. overall, um, showed that in, among other things, in January, 42% of people who died of COVID were fully vaccinated. And in February... 40% of people who died of COVID in the U.S. were fully vaccinated. So again, you know, this is tough to talk about. This is something that I I posted about this when when people were kind of like, you know, yelling about breakthrough deaths at us um, for a while. You know, this is a figure that no one is happy with. No one. Obviously, like the vaccines have saved a lot of lives. The vaccines are very, very useful. They are, however, as we've said over and over again, not the only tool that we have, as it were. Um, You know, if we want to say we have the tools, like we should not be expecting only the vaccines and then maybe as a second order, like last ditch effort, like Avusheld and Paxlovid to be, you know, stopping infections and deaths from happening. So like that's just important to say from the top, but I think we wanted to sort of like revisit this again in a public in a, in a public episode, basically, because if and I think they are, the Biden administration is correct in saying that, you know, we have a, a winter of, you know, severe illness and death ahead of us, um, that we have a fall and winter where we could see 100 million or more uh, coronavirus infections that, again, could lead to a lot of deaths, could lead to a lot of long COVID. Then this data and this breakdown of how common breakthrough deaths have become really is something that we have to actually talk about because yeah. if this happens, right, if this continues to happen and if, as I think they are, they are correct that we have, if not earlier, a fall and winter ahead of us with a lot of, you know, severe disease and, and death. And this continues to happen with, you know, people who are vaccinated being among those who die, right, then at a, at a bare minimum, we have to have that conversation so that people can understand when that happens. Right. Yeah. No, I I think it's incredibly important and it's frustrating because I think this entire time we've seen any discussion of, of breakthrough deaths be immediately targeted or even actually before breakthrough deaths, breakthrough infections merely existing at all were, were topics that if you bring it up, it's, it's essentially asking for like some immediate pain, right? You've got people that are going to complain, that are going to call you an anti-vaxxer, that are going to be like frustrated. And part of the rhetoric that that these attacks always come with is very fucking frustrating and confusing to me because it almost takes this position of like, well, the reason why you can't talk about breakthrough deaths is because people aren't smart enough to understand that this doesn't mean that like the vaccine is amazing. Yeah. And it's like, well, fuck First of all, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> second of all, N- number one. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, um, I'm sorry. Like, who made you in charge of deciding what people could handle and what Peter people are fucking smart well, enough to understand? Are you fucking stupid? I mean, I feel like this is. 
how can I explain this? It's so hard to explain, but it's to me, it's the <laughs> people, uh, miming that like the, in the, in the public, right. People miming, uh, and sort of doing free labor for inadvertently the administration and like taking on the perspective, like, well, we're in this like, you know, war room and we can't let any, you know, information about the inadequacy of the strategy that we've taken on uh, leak out. It's like, well, no one's paying you to like, you know, do nothing but issue fawning praise. And, you know, as much as you might think that that's going to like, you know, earn you a kind of place in the, uh, you know, democratic political like firmament, like it probably isn't pal. Uh, You know, it's just, you know, you, you don't gain anything from that. Uh, but it is this sort of like mentality that people take. I remember during the Affordable Care Act, like, you know, it's like they, there were problems with the exchanges, like before it was rolling out. Like you couldn't talk about that. Right. right? It was like, well, you're 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 just playing into the hands of the Republicans. Like not necessarily what I'm doing is giving you the opportunity to like get your shit to like get your shit together. I mean, and but I do think that there is a bias towards kind of happy talk uh, within these circles. I and And that to some extent, like. Okay, that's that's like well, it's like the same people who the, say like oh, Roe is being overturned, but don't protest or something. Like what the fu- you know? What yeah, I mean? well, it's 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 like it's the veep. It's like the I understand to some extent like the sort of veep level like absurdity of like what happens in the palace palace politics. But like what I don't what what is is completely intolerable is people carrying water when they don't absolutely need to. And and the thing is, it's not as if the idea of like highlighting the fact that like we could have done more. Uh, or we can be doing more to prevent against infection and, and death is like, that's not, that's not converting people to vaccine skepticism. And, and even to the extent, like just thinking about the vaccine thing, there's much more that we could be doing to get the vaccine out to people. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like highlighting any of those things is simply asking the Biden administration to do what it promised to do, what it has a hundred plus page paper saying that it will do like that's the thing that that is going to me like they said they were going to do this stuff right they promised that they would do this stuff yeah absolutely well and saying you know obviously uh, you know again it's like it is it's an important conversation to have like vaccine efficacy does not occur in a vacuum as i've said before like Mm -hmm. if you want to prevent illness death long covid you name it the best way to do that is to have less to none of the virus circulating in the first place and short of that yeah, we need masking, paid leave, paying people to stay home, Medicare for all, you name it, whatever. Like we are literally just asking for more on top of the vaccine. And, you know, I I don't want it to sound like we're being defensive necessarily, because I think mostly the criticisms, uh, it's not even that we got criticisms. It's that just like people said, like, oh, pointing people got really upset uh, as uh, has been characterized, like breakthrough deaths became for a couple of days, the main character of Twitter, essentially, where uh, you know, people were upset as we're kind of talking about that, like this was being drawn attention to. And some people went so far as to say that basically oh, this is part of a logical fallacy, which we're about to get into, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I get it. Like you see something that you don't want to hear and something that's frankly really disturbing. Um, it's upsetting. And doesn't, Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that's very upsetting. And that sucks. Again, no one's happy about this. And that doesn't square with how you, the pandemic has been like presented to you as a sociological experience and you know i see how you get this reaction but so i think maybe before you know again the the sort of top line of this is that basically we're now in a roughly like 40 percent 
of COVID deaths are, are breakthrough deaths. I think we should talk about what that means and some of the breakdown here, but maybe we can do that through some of the sort of gotchas here uh, that people kind of thought they were being very clever uh, <laughs> with when they were responding to this. Again, not responding to our episode, certainly not responding to having read the Kaiser Family Foundation report, certainly not responding to having read the CDC's actual data on this. That became very clear with a lot of uh, the sort of responses to this. But again, so this is this is some some of the things that say, ah, yes, but here are the reasons why uh, either this is incorrect or something that forty percent of people who you know died in January and February were breakthrough deaths, or that somehow we shouldn't care about it, right? So I think the first one is I'll I'll get to I'll get to the big one in a second, but the first one I just want to get out of the way is the. Um, I saw a lot of people saying like, okay, but what does, what do they mean by fully vaccinated? Right. Right. So, cause the, the statistic, you know, 42% in January and 40% in February, uh, of, uh, COVID deaths in the U S being breakthrough deaths. Um, you know, that's a high statistic. It also uses the term like breakthrough deaths being, uh, qualified as like among people who are fully vaccinated. A lot of people quibbled about what quote unquote fully vaccinated meant what that means just to be really clear is that's from the um that is you know what the cdc and the fda constitute as fully vaccinated that is what the government says is quote unquote fully vaccinated which currently, is two shots which is two shots uh of the mrna vaccines right yes. so your primary series as it's called technically like your primary series of the vaccine um no booster right, right? Uh, there although, was brief discussion, which we've covered on the show in the past, of updating the definition of fully vaccinated to include primary series plus one booster, but that never took place. So if you see any kind of like analysis using CDC data and it says fully, fully vaccinated, vaccinated, it's yeah. going to mean fully vaccinated by the strict textual definition in the United States, which is primary series. And and that may change, right? right. But what I'm saying is that when we say when not even when we say when we point to the CDC who says in January in this data set, which is again sixty six percent of the American population, forty two percent of people who died of COVID were fully vaccinated. Right when they say fully vaccinated, that means the primary series. Right now we talked about this in the episode where we talked about this, but they do break it out by booster status though. So. What's important to note about that is still in January uh, of 2022, 12% of deaths were in people who were fully vaccinated and boosted. And in February, 15% of deaths were in people who were boosted. So that's still, I mean, we talked about this in the episode, that is staggering. That is mm-hmm. a problem. Like that, 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 that sucks. So basically this isn't something that you can just simply wave away by saying like, oh, well, they simply weren't boosted. You can't go and just say like, oh, well, we'll just update this to right. like, it's simply a pandemic of the unboosted now. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There were people that got, that got mad who were saying, well, it, you know, it, fully vaccinated means boosted though. Like it doesn't matter if you're not boosted, then you're not protected. And it's like, well, right. okay, sir. So again, what, what we're, <laughs> what we're contesting here is not, I'm not saying like, oh, well, you know, the CDC says that the primary series is fully vaccinated. Therefore we're still right. I'm just saying that that's what we mean when we say those words, because it seems like there were a lot of people who got confused <laughs> about that. Not among our listeners. I just mean like, you know, people who were uh, like arguing about uh, breakthrough deaths in the abstract online. So moving on. And this one, I suspect you guys will both have plenty to talk about. 
um, one of the primary things that I think people got, uh, people wanted to have sort of a discussion about regarding breakthrough deaths and the fact that we have seen this jump to, you know, 40 or 42% of deaths being breakthrough deaths, um, that to draw attention to that or to interpret that as a bad thing is simply what is called the quote unquote base rate fallacy or base rate neglect. Yeah. Yeah. I I would, I would say actually, yeah, base rate neglect. If you're going to try and say it's a logical fallacy, at least use the proper term for it. But right. And and also usually with a logical fallacy, the rule is you can't just call out a logical fallacy as existing and then declare that a win. You have to prove your case as to why what you're pointing out is (laughs) I wish that were true. People do that all the time. I wish that that were actually true, but no. Right. Simply naming the thing does not win the argument, buddy. Well, yeah. And yeah, exactly. And in this case, so uh, so I don't know what's more insufferable uh, like that that approach to arguing or that the 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 poor version of that approach to arguing. Yeah. So anyway, basically uh if you if you saw this conversation happening and you're confused about it, base rate neglect aka the base rate fallacy does not explain what is going on here. What the idea is, what people are saying when they say that or what people responded to when they said that basically was aha, in a society with a 100% vaccination rate, for example, 100% of COVID deaths would be among the vaccinated. Therefore, you're not wrong, uh, but you are wrong to be concerned about the prevalence of breakthrough deaths. So what they say basically is that, you know, as the percentage of the adult population that is vaccinated increases, then of course we would see some corresponding jump in the amount of people who are dying of COVID being vaccinated already. That the base rate of people, in other words, who are vaccinated then influences the rate of people who will be dying of breakthrough infections. Mm -hmm. There are some holes in this, um, principally being the fact that uh, demographically speaking, and this actually, this isn't even my favorite, I think, refutation of this, but this is, I think, one of the simplest. Demographically speaking, the burden of breakthrough deaths has fallen disproportionately on older people, much like as we've seen in deaths overall. The catch to that is that older people, 65 plus and even 50 plus as a demographic group, have for months now had extremely high vaccination rates, Mm -hmm. especially comparable to other groups. Um, There's no big jump in, you know, November, December that accounts for the fact that there is a huge jump in breakthrough deaths starting in January. Mm -hmm. Right. And honestly, this base rate fallacy accusation, right? The idea that, oh, simply you're you're looking at these numbers wrong and therefore you're making an incorrect judgment. Like the judgment is that this is a failure of a fucking policy response yeah. in the first place. And frankly, regardless of the base rate, this entire situation passes judgment as like a fucking failure of a pandemic policy response. Yeah, let's not exactly. let's not quibble over what <laughs> is, you know, the actually important implication. Right, because it's like, are you saying that, like, I'm overinflating breakthrough deaths in order to gain leverage to advocate for pandemic protections that you also agree are necessary, (laughs) but that I'm not allowed to get them on this, what you call to be a technicality, right? Is that really the argument that these people are (laughs) trying to have? Because that basically is what it feels like when on the receiving end, let me just say personally. (laughs) The other, so the other part of this, though, is that, so... Under this idea, what you would assume you would see is that, okay, so right, we have like suddenly in January, there's 42% of deaths or breakthrough deaths, right? Okay. So if it was simply going to be explained by base rate, 
right? I think it was like 29% the previous month. In December, it's like 29% and then it jumps like to 42%. 23, 25, 26, right. 29. But so if this was going to be explained by the base rate of people who are vaccinated increasing dramatically, you would expect to see some dramatic increase in vaccination status of the adult population. That is not what happened. Right. In October 2021, 72% of adults were vaccinated. By January, it was just 77% still. So that's not, you know, this is not a, that increase is vastly disproportionate. Right. In other words, like the idea, if, if you simply just, you know, look at the data set, like the idea that this is just the base rate fallacy or whatever, that this is just a base rate problem um, to interpret this as, as having meaning just it like falls out the window the, to the point that we basically shrugged this off in our episode. Like when we talked about it, I think we literally said like that this was so self-evident that like if you merely look at it, um, I think what we said is like vaccine uptake does not account for this. Right. So I think the final point that I just want to mention about this that was brought up as again, sort of a gotcha was that, um, okay, you know, Again, we say CDC shows in this data set, there's this huge amount of breakthrough deaths, right? Well, some people would say, you know, I simply don't care about that or you shouldn't care about that because remember the people who died uh, in this data set were primarily old or had comorbidities. This literally was, I think, the most recent uh, This Week in Virology. They said exactly this of this study, kind of dancing around actually mentioning it. Um, And who are those people who are vaccinated that are still dying? Um, Predominantly those that are are older, above age 75. Um, And as we've heard before, predominantly those people with comorbidities, with immunosuppression. So realize these individuals are that perfect candidate or the perfect candidates for receiving Evusheld. And, you know, what I would say to this is what I think I said on the episode. And if I didn't, I certainly said this on Twitter shortly after, which is that I just, you know, I want to remind these people age does not make death less tragic. And also that shrugging off deaths of the medically vulnerable as, you know, people who simply had comorbidities and were going to die anyway mm-hmm. is fundamentally eugenic. This is everyone wants to talk about, again, as we've said over the course of this pandemic, quote unquote, like these deaths are simply pulled from the future as though that makes everything A-OK. And I think that gets me to like the biggest thing that I want to talk about, which we didn't really talk about on the episode, which actually is kind of like a really important takeaway from these data because most importantly if if for example with the base rate fallacy stuff right it's like okay well let's say we had a hundred percent vaccination rate therefore you know in a population that was a hundred percent vaccinated right then obviously we would see the people who were still dying of covid right would 100 percent of them would be breakthrough deaths yeah okay sure yeah what we're saying and what we've been saying and the reason that we talk about breakthrough deaths the reason i think that we talk about breakthrough deaths on the show is the amount of people dying is still, and it seems would still be a problem. Right. (laughs) Right. And I think to illustrate this point, honestly, I sitting down and calculating these things that I'm about to talk about was actually a little hard. So I hope you're sitting down. I know that you guys are sitting down. Okay, so let, let's say like the Biden administration is correct. We're looking at a, a you know winter of severe illness and death. So who died last winter? Because we didn't address this on the show the first time we talked about these numbers, but this actually gives us a very sobering picture of what we could be looking at this coming fall, if not sooner. 
so far everything that i've said about this has been about the ex- what the cdc's data set explicitly shows and i'm going to make exactly one leap here which is i'm going to assume this sample was representative and it's what 66% of the population right it's it's 66% of the us population the sample size includes also it's like 57% of all adult covid-19 deaths um so uh, i'm going to acknowledge so that we'll that's say, a leap. let's say this holds okay? true uh, I, you know, it's, it's, I think I feel pretty confident assuming that this is nationally representative, but I'm just saying like the exact figures that I'm going to state for you are not the exact figures. This is just assuming this is nationally representative, right? So if this is nationally representative, if we do the math and we look at the entire fall and winter, mm-hmm. right? And think about how many people died. Okay. September of 2021. 56,282 people died of COVID in the U.S. in that month alone, according to the CDC. And keep in mind, the the actual per month overall death counts the CDC has are generally understood to be uh, at least somewhat of an undercount. So if the CDC's uh, data set is nationally representative and 23% of those people were breakthrough deaths, right, then that is 12,944 breakthrough deaths in September. Again, assuming these figures are representative of the country as a whole. To be thinking about how hard they were pushing the pandemic of the unvaccinated line and to hear that is very frustrating. Yeah. 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 But I would just like, I, I feel like I should repeat that Miriam Kaba line that I said on our Monday episode, which is, uh, let this radicalize you and not lead you into despair. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm saying this, this this is only going to get more of a bummer uh, as as I go on in these figures. And I'm saying this explicitly because we need to do something about this. This is not something to just get be sad. We can't simply be sad about this. We have to be angry about it. As I said on the episode where we talked about uh, these breakthrough deaths first and more at length, like the Biden administration must be made to respond to this. Right. Anyway, October 2021. There were 44,194 deaths from COVID in October, according to CDC. If 26% of those, as borne out in the CDC data, were fully vaccinated, that would mean 11,490 breakthrough deaths in October. The figure for November, the total figure for November, 34,402 deaths of COVID in November. Um, One year of flu deaths on an average year (laughs) in a single month. Um, the, the figure for November listed in the CDC data are 28% of those would have been vaccinated. Uh, that would mean 9,632 breakthrough deaths in November, December, 2021, 41,077 total COVID deaths in November. If you take the 29% figure in this data set, that would mean 11,912 breakthrough deaths in December, January, 2022. 69,986 total COVID deaths in January, according to the CDC. Notably, other sources peg this closer to 80,000. 42% of those were vaccinated. It's a huge jump up from 29%. That would mean 29,394 breakthrough deaths in January. Assuming these figures are representative for the country as a whole. So it would be almost as many deaths as an average flu year. Just a breakthrough deaths. Jesus. Yeah. God. February 2022, 60,351 total COVID deaths in February, according to the CDC. 40% of those being vaccinated. That would mean 
24,140 breakthrough deaths in February. Uh, and there are not data for March yet. I want to make something very clear. Just because we're mentioning breakthrough deaths and highlighting them so specifically does not mean that those other 30 to 40,000 deaths per month didn't matter. Absolutely. Are not significant. That's important. Yeah. Yes. Because I think yeah. the fact of the matter is regardless, right, you, regardless of whether or not there were like 12,000 or 9,000 people dying, even though the Biden administration was saying those people, those 12,000 people don't exist. Right. right. And that's fucking heinous. And that's a horrible thing to do to the, the people left behind who are grieving those, you know, 12,000 people right. from November or September. September was 11,000. There's 11,000 people from September, right, who were breakthrough deaths, as Biden was saying, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But there were tens of thousands of other people that died, right? And because they were unvaccinated does not mean that their lives were fucking worthless or that they were not, you know, people who were loved, who did not deserve to die this way. And the fact of the matter is, is that all of the people who are spending all of this time policing the boundaries of the discussion of breakthrough deaths, saying that any de- like any discussion of these, you know, frankly, catastrophic policy failures, which are very di- difficult to grasp and see in real time, but will be even more difficult to grasp and see in hindsight, right? Um so it's really important to document and talk about it now as it's happening so there's anything left to digest later, right? Yeah. Like, if we refuse to talk about breakthrough deaths on the quote-unquote historical record, we're erasing those people and we're erasing access to, like, what happened to them from the record, right? That is what people like Benjamin Mazur are saying we need to do in order to win a midterm election for a group of people that I don't know if they're going to fucking show up and do any of the things that they really need to do, right, to to stop this. Well, we're also directly putting people in harm's way by telling them, like, you don't necessarily yeah. need to mask unless you feel a personal need to, unless right. you feel your own personal risk is so great that you must mask, well, right? Even, even if that were, let's just pretend for a second that that were, like acceptable advice for some reason like <laughs> the, the the assumption that like people have a great understanding of what that is is absurd mm-hmm. who has it like like your personal level of risk as if health status is something that you like can like the the the, the, the gas gauge in your car <laughs> like well i'm i'm about 60 miles uh you know 60 miles left on the tank you know can i Oh, man. I I can't believe this stuff passes for arguments. (laughs) I also just want to emphasize, you know, okay, I would love to be wrong about this. Again, there's a chance there. I don't know. There's there's a chance, I guess, that this uh, CDC data set that, again, you know, encompasses 66 percent of the population over all of the country, that somehow it's, you know, not representative um, and that somehow there were no breakthrough deaths in the i don't know remaining third of the country i doubt could it could also be worse it could also By be worse that i don't same know logic but, right. it could also be much worse than the counties that right. weren't reported I'm, I'm just saying i just want to be really open with the ambiguity here that's all i'm saying the the fact remains yeah. though if there are you know if if these percentages are accurate um from this very large 
collection of information. I, sorry, this is almost hard to say. I, the figure that I came to when you add those up, right, between September 2021 and February 2022 within this data set, um, and, and looking, if you, if we look at that, looking at how many COVID deaths happened during that time as a whole, and, uh, looking at the per month breakdown of what the percentage of breakthrough deaths was, if we add those all up, the figure that you get is 99,512, which I think is if you ask someone on the street, just some random person, how many you thought died the entire fall? reasonably someone could say that could say like a hundred thousand right which is if a fucked up thing about the pandemic in itself because right. there's there's so much you know open question about how many people are still dying of it right but you know they're certainly not going to give you that amount as the potential total number of breakthrough deaths like i mean that's a hundred thousand people we yeah. have a term for that it's an incalculable loss Yes. Right. That's, I mean, you know, the, like the, when the New York times fucking, when, sorry, like when we hit a hundred thousand people dead in the United States, the New York times ran its fucking full front page saying it was an incalculable loss. Well, we ran past a million and they haven't printed shit about it. And now we may have hit, we, we, you know, very likely I think may have hit, um, a hundred thousand breakthrough deaths alone. Right. I mean, and the, the, the fact remains, just the final point I want to make regarding base rate neglect, right? If you're looking at this right now and your first thought is like that the, the problem here is that there is uh, some like mistaken judgment being made in response to hearing this data. Like, I don't understand what kind of just like judgment you think people are making, because when I hear this data, what I think is unless community transmission is mitigated and kept yeah. low even when the right. population is fully vaccinated and that base rate grows from 70% of seniors to 100% of seniors not just being boosted or vaccinated with the primary series but also boosted and maybe boosted again right what are we going to be looking at well to me it looks like quite possibly a ridiculously unacceptable level of death, like an annual amount of flu deaths in a month, right? And that, to me, already seems like a future that we can eminently uh, avoid, right? Right, We know that some of these deaths that we've been discussing among not just the unvaccinated, but the vaccinated and boosted could have been prevented with non-pharmaceutical interventions being used in addition to drugs and vaccines, right? It's not like once we have the vaccine, we had some sort of contractual obligation to give up all other mitigations, right? That was like a a distinct choice that we had. So if there's any judgment that's being made when you're looking at at these data, right, And, and looking at these breakthrough deaths and going, holy shit, this is terrible, right? The only judgment being made is that a vaccine-only strategy undermines the vaccine technology itself, that a vaccine-only strategy is not sufficient, and that this is still an unacceptable level of death, and that there is no way, shape, 
or form to look at the Biden administration's COVID response and ever evaluate that as a success. Yeah. There's no calculus that you can do except for pulling data off the board and making it unavailable and inaccessible to make the pandemic response a success. And because it has not been a success so far, it does not mean that it is like categorically always doomed to continue this way. But if there is all of this energy and attention that goes into the, you know, obscuring of these very obvious realities, right, then we are going to have a tremendously difficult and frustrating battle ahead to get people to switch up their energy and devote their time instead to, you know, actually mitigating this pandemic response. Because I think what's very clear, any judgment that I have looking at this data is that, oh, well, it looks like wishing the pandemic away doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Yeah. Patrons, we will catch you on Monday in the patron feed. If you would like to support the show and become a patron to get access to all of our weekly bonus episodes, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism, or request it at your local library, and follow us at deathpanel underscore. As always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.